I've been studying this for him, and so we get to gather together, study his word, praise his name, and rejoice that he made today. And as we study scripture, uh, we want to get to some root of some things. Uh, we want to get to the heart of the matter. Uh, a healthy heart uh, seems like on it's on every food commercial now. Uh, everything that you buy, you're reminded uh, what it means to have a healthy heart, or you're uh, persuaded to buy or eat certain things so that your heart is healthy. We know that a healthy heart uh, usually means a healthy life. If your heart is healthy, then your life, the journey that you're on, will probably be healthy as well. So we know that, and we know that um, biblically, um, God didn't just say, uh, eat Cheerios and you'll have a healthy heart, or take an aspirin a day and you'll have a healthy heart, or stay away from you know the grease and the, the donuts and all those things and you'll have a healthy heart. Uh, he, he's more uh, in tune with, or more inclined to, uh, to speak to us about things that are eternal. Uh, particularly a weighty, weighty subject that we don't often like to talk about because we feel bad about it. And because of the weight of it, sin. Sin is a huge, huge issue. If I was to ask you this morning, what or who is your biggest problem, you could probably think of some people. You could probably think of some things. If I was to ask it more like this, who is my biggest problem or what is my biggest problem, you would probably point your fingers at me. You would probably say, you are your biggest problem. You are my biggest problem. We, we begin thinking about that. Also in life, uh, because we live in a great culture of competition, you begin thinking about who or what is my biggest competition. I think the answer to both of those questions is me. And not necessarily me. I don't want you to point your fingers at me you do that enough but point it at yourself too who gets in the way of your life the most you do who is your biggest problem uh, jeremiah tells us that the heart is more deceitful than any than any other and so with that being said or with that being inspired by god uh, we can assume here that the heart is a major major issue and i'm looking at you this morning and i know that many of you have heard this before we know that the heart is a troublemaker uh, your heart can be grabbed by so many so many things and distracted by so many things gentlemen think about for a moment if you're married Think about how you tried to woo and win your spouse's heart. The things that you did to capture her heart so that she would be in love with you. Ladies, think about that also. When you were trying to woo your husband's heart, it was a lot easier. Just cook something good and they'll be won over to you. Or just say something nice to them like, like your hair looks nice. And those types of things. And they're going to easily accept your, your love and your, you've, won, you've won their heart. Young people, as you begin thinking about how to win someone else's heart someday... You begin thinking about what does it take? Does it take letters? Does it take songs? Do I have to buy flowers? Do I have to buy treasures of this earth so that I can win someone's heart? So that they love me as much as I love them. Well, the heart is a deceitful thing. And because there's a, there's a number of things in our world that distract us and pull us away, we have to be cautious of things. We have to be mindful of things. When we get to Matthew 5 here, as we're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, we try and get to the center of something, uh, particularly the, the Sermon on the Mount, like we've said before. The center of the Sermon on the Mount is the prayer Jesus models for us. And when he says, thy will be done. Thy will be done. The center of the Sermon on the Mount, the center of our lives should be the same. Thy will be done. Lord, your will be done. Your will be being done in my life at this moment. Your will be done. And so when Jesus says in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He, he brings up this 
moment in the sermon where he wants to center back on the center of the human and how it defines the way that you walk, how it defines the way that you talk, how it defines the way that you work, how it defines the way that you worship, how it defines the way that you, uh, that you, uh, husband or wife or have relationships, whatever it may be. The heart is at the center of that. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, in conversation with you and with others, I've heard before several say, I wish I could just see God. I heard on the radio a lady uh, complaining. uh, She's really just wanting to directly hear from the Lord so she knows what to do with her life. The Bible has given direction. The Bible has given understanding. The Bible is clear on what our lives should be about. Now, should that happen at McDonald's or should that happen at, uh, you know, at First Baptist Church Lovington or should that happen on a football field? Uh, those directions you may not hear specifically from the Lord. But when you're following and you're letting your heart be in tune with the Lord's heart and you're allowing Christ to cover you with his blood and make you righteous and change your heart, shape your heart into what he desires, the way you walk will reflect that. The way you walk will reflect. I thought about um, often. I think about often because because you allow me to um, to lead this particular congregation. I thought about a lot what it means to be a healthy church or an unhealthy church. Oftentimes we can point out the unhealthy things before we begin to say what it means to be healthy because that's kind of the judgmental culture that we live in. But what does it mean to to be a, a healthy or unhealthy church? Well, we know that the church is made up of people. It's not necessarily is our building healthy. It's not what we're talking about. Uh, it's not just the title. First Baptist Church Lovington is the title healthy, but it is are the people healthy? You, you can't have a healthy church without having healthy people. And the only way we know, biblically, for people to be heart healthy is that they would be pure in heart. And the only way to be pure in heart is if Christ has redeemed their heart, has purchased it with his own blood, has wiped away or forgiven, cleansed the sin that's in the heart, and put them on a path toward righteousness as they're being saved every day from sin. Their heart is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And when you have people gathering together to form one congregation or a body of believers whose hearts are healthy, then the church in a whole, as a whole will be healthy. Uh, you've probably heard it. Uh, happy wife, happy life. Maybe you've heard that. Uh, happy groom saves us from doom. Those types of things. Um, you know, you've heard these things. Well, how do you have a happy wife? How do you make your wife happy? How do you have a happy groom to save you from doom? What do you do in those situations? We have to get to the root. We have to say, what is capturing my heart? What, what is it that my heart is longing for? What is it that's distracting me from Christ, that's, that's pulling me away from what's righteous and holy and pure? What are those things that are pulling me away from that? A, a healthy heart is, is extremely important. When Christ says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, he's not bringing up anything that's light. He's bringing up something that's, that's heavy, that's something to be thought about daily. What is it that's pulling you away from him? What, what is it that's making you... That's making you uh, pure. So let's start from the back. 
of the verse, and let's let's work from the back and go back to the front. So we desire we desire to see God. My my assumption uh, of you this morning is that you have somewhat of a desire to see to see God. Uh, we want to know what He looks like. We want to know really if we get down to it. We want to know if He's real. And as we get to the even more of the root of that, we want to know what He looks like. We want to know if He's real. Uh, we want to know if He looks like us. The heart of it is we want to see God because we want to know and be able to justify, does God look like me? I know that Scripture says from the beginning that we are created in his image. Uh, And so in that, we say, does God look like me? Some of you are like, I know he looks like me. I know that he looks like me. I know this for sure that he looks like me. As we get to the root, we want to see God. We have this desire to see God. Hebrews 1 Verses 1 through 4 says this. You can turn there, underline it, highlight it, whatever you desire to do. Uh, Hebrews 1, the author says this. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I made a comment just a moment ago. Happy wife, happy life. A groom, happy groom saves us from doom. If you have any um, ideas of the bride being, uh, we are the church, the bride of Christ. He is our groom. And you want to know any any kind of like uh, marriage counseling? How do you counsel the church if if the church is married to Christ? Spend some time reading the prophet Hosea and let God speak to you through the prophet Hosea. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sin... He sat down at the right hand of God, or at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So we're wanting to see God. We we want to. We live in a world that we want to see something greater than ourselves. And in this moment, if we believe the Bible to be true, we believe that these words were inspired and given to us by God, then we we have an understanding that if we want to see God, we must see Jesus. We must put Jesus at the forefront of our lives every moment of the day. We want to see God. We have to see Jesus. To see God, we see Jesus. We have to put that at the forefront of our minds every day. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So in this moment, we have an understanding. As Christ is saying this, that if you want to see God uh, in the end or or now, if you want to see God, you have to see Jesus. And you have to have a pure heart to do that. You have to have a pure heart, a righteous, uh, unsin-filled heart. You have to have a, a heart that has been cleansed from its sins. And the only way for that to happen is for the one who made purification of sins to take over your heart, Jesus Christ. To confess Him as Lord and say, Christ, remove my sins so that I am pure. You made purifications for sins. Please take away my sins. Here are my sins. I confess them before you. I want you to remove them from me. As your word says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, remove my sins from me. So that Psalm 51, you can create in me a clean heart so that I can see who you, so that I can see who you are. Create in me this pure heart. Christ is the one that, that does that. If you want to see God, if you're here this morning, you're asking the question, how can I see God? You must see Christ. And the only way that you can see God through Christ is for Christ to purify you from your sins. The heart is the center of the human. When Christ is saying this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, he knows he has to get to the root. He has to get to the root of the issue before anything else will be taken care of. 
And once we get to the root of the issue and things are beginning to take care of, then fruit will be be produced. Barry Creamer is the president of Criswell College. I got to sit in on a little uh, 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 discussion time with him a, a few weeks ago. And one thing that he said is, uh, when the word is preached and the word takes root, then fruit will happen. The word always produces fruit. So as the word is penetrating into your life, and seeds of righteousness, and the gospel is being uh, preached to yourself every day, and it begins to grow, and your heart and my heart begins to transform into the likeness of Christ, then fruit will be produced. Our church is unhealthy. We're not producing fruit. Why is that? The word may not be penetrating. If the word is not taking root, fruit won't be produced. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's not a light subject. And I know that you've heard it, and I'm looking at some of your expressions on your face, and you're like, I've heard this before. I've heard it before. I know that the heart is a major issue. I know that I have to take care of it. I know that I have to take care of it. What we're trying to get our minds uh, processing or trying to get our minds in tune with is the fact that, that Christ wants to take every moment of our life, now and forever, and transform us into his likeness. Perfection, purity, holiness, righteousness, so that we are no longer separated from God. What's your biggest problem? What's my biggest problem? It's the sin that distracts us away from and divides us from Christ. It's the sin that, that moves us away from in the direction against God instead of the direction with God. Christ comes in, steps in as the mediator between us and God. He steps in. He purifies us from our sins so that we may move in the right direction towards God and not away from Him. He takes the, the divide moment of sin in our life that has separated us from God and through his act on the cross and his conquering of death and his removal of sin and his purification of that he brings us back into right relationship with God the Father and the heart the heart is at the center of that we must be changed from the root we must be changed from the root if we want to produce fruit for Christ Matthew 15 verse 19 says this for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness and slander Uh, Jesus when he's preaching this in Matthew 15 he's reminding us that at the root of every issue is your heart. Where your heart is, there your treasure is also. Uh, the things that come out of your heart uh, give you this idea of, of, uh, of what Christ desires from you. The heart is a major issue. Uh, some take this and say, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And some, some take this and say, okay, what Christ is preaching here is, is kind of a moral thing. He wants us to act, he wants us to act right. It, it may mean, I read this from one author, it may mean the inner moral purity as opposed to merely external piety or ceremonial cleanliness. So we get, we get wrapped up in, uh, well, Christ wants us to have a pure heart, and the way that looks is, is if, uh, if I'm washing my hands before, before worship. If I'm attending Sunday school, if I've um, gone to every uh, you know associational and convention meeting, if I've uh, given ten percent and beyond, if I you know we we, we take these things, and we say like he wants us to be great, pure in heart people, and so maybe I can prove that by the way that I'm uh, living religiously. Others think it may mean that it's a single-mindedness, a heart free from the tyranny of a divided self. Uh, you know what a dichotomy is? It's a division of things. Think oil and water. Uh, think that those two things will not mix. You pour oil into a cup, pour water into a cup, they're going to stay divided. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to see God, you don't have a divided life. 
You say, Christ has saved you, every bit of you. Not just part of you, the part that ends up here on Sunday mornings, but every part of you, the part that lives the entire moment of your life here on this earth and forever. No dichotomy anymore, no division anymore. Christ begins to come in and he changes everything about you. The author goes on to say it's impossible to have one without the other. The one who is single-minded in commitment to the kingdom and its righteousness will also be inwardly pure. So we have this moment where Christ comes in and says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He comes in and he changes every bit of your life. I know that's difficult. I know there are many things that have grabbed a hold of your heart. I've only been a parent for a short time now, but I see it in my own kids' lives. And I see my leadership of that every day. I see things that are grabbing or trying to grab my children's hearts and to take over and win them for, for the sake of whatever this thing is. Trying to persuade them that these things are most important. And then I come in as a parent and say, no, these things are important. I distract them from maybe even what, what is most, most important. Satan wants to distract us, but our heart is deceitful. Our heart begins to be wooed by things of this world. Be distracted, being lured away from Christ and His work, His completed work. Our heart begins to move and drift in that direction. And then years from now, you look back and you say, how did I get to this? How did I get to this point? I mean, I'll be direct. I mean, because, because the majority of you here this morning are 60 and above. And the conversations I've had with you about being heart healthy a, a common denominator that I hear over and over and over again from you as you're teaching me is don't end up like us. Take care of your body today. At a young age, begin taking care of your body so that you're not ending up like some of us are today. As I counseled at a group counseling uh, center um, uh, for geriatrics, uh, many of them said, I wish I wasn't here today. If I would have made different choices uh, in the past, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. But what you can be, different. Christ can transform you no matter what age you are. Christ wants your heart no matter what age you are. He wants you to be pure in heart no matter where you stand or, or any of that. He wants you to be being transformed into his likeness. Healthy heart means that Christ has purified you from your sins. It doesn't mean you're eating Cheerios every day. It means that at the forefront of your life, you're looking at Christ. Christ has purified you from your sins. Your gaze is upon Christ because he's worthy of that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see, they shall see God. To see God, one must see Christ. We have to see Christ. Christ is the only one who can take away our unrighteousness to make us pure. So if that is the case, we have to put Christ at every moment of our life. We have to put Christ. When it says blessed are the pure, the, the Greek word there for pure, it really means without admixture, without adding anything else to it without adding any, anything else to it. Maybe you've been passed along a recipe. Uh, you know, a recipe, This uh, we in my family, we have Granny Land's uh, chocolate chip cookies. And uh, some have tried to make them better. You can't. Stick to the recipe. Don't add anything else to it. You're not going to make it any better. They're, they are great the way that they are. Uh, in, in life today, we try and do that. Okay, I, I hear what Christ is saying. I'm hearing the Sermon on the Mount. I understand, and as we get to them later, I understand what it means to love my enemies. I understand what it means to make oaths. I understand what it means to lust. I understand all these things, but I don't think that's necessarily what he's saying. I understand that he wants me to love and be perfect in that, as Matthew 5.48 says, but I don't think that's really what he's saying. I think what, and we add things to it. We add, and we add, and we add, and then we have to ask Christ to come in and subtract all these things. Can you take, can you take these things away? And Christ says, 
Christ almost says, it's not these things I'm trying to take away. It's the things that you've added to it. It's the things that have caused you to be impure. The things that you've added to the life that I've cleansed, those things that are distracting you from me and my message, I'm taking those things away. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we have this understanding that when we confess Christ as Lord, and we follow through in baptism, Christ is uh, purifying us from our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's going to save us from our sins because of what he's done. So in our confession of Christ as Lord, when he, when he purifies us from our sins, some of us have the mindset that life with him ends at that moment. Uh, our sins have been forgiven, and so I just continue on the way that I was living. And I will ask again, Lord, forgive me of those debts that I had against you. Thank you for the forgiveness, but I'm going to continue living in the way that I that I'm living. I had a conversation last last week with um a couple who are um engaging in war with one another. They are getting married in November, engaging in war with one another. So we're learning how to fight well, learning how you know what it means to to fight well and argue well and and live this married life as uh, two believers who uh, who want to glorify Christ in their in their uh, walking together. Uh, and so they they mentioned um, uh, in their in their um, in our counseling session they mentioned some some stories, uh, particularly about a friend who uh, who owns a bar and how the the friend that owns this bar is an alcoholic, and they've tried to counsel them saying, look, if you want to stop being an alcoholic and running your family, you probably should sell the bar. You probably should not be working or owning this bar anymore. And it sounds really dramatic, and most of you are nodding your head with me like, that makes perfect sense. But if the heart is the issue, and if sin is a real problem, I mean, it's not just a dramatic moment like that in our lives. I mean, how many things distract us from, how many things distract us from Christ? And so we see a division there. We say, yeah, obviously, if he's an alcoholic, he can't be owning a bar. There, there has to be a division among that. There has to be a separation from that. First John chapter 3, turn there real quick. First John chapter three. It's towards the back of the Bible. If you're using one of these paper paper Bibles, First John chapter three. Sam last week kind of uh, led up to this moment, but we're going to read it together. First John chapter three. We're actually going to start just a few verses before chapter three begins. We'll start in First John chapter two, verse twenty-eight. John writes this, and now little children abide in Him. He's talking about Jesus, abide in him, live in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So we want to live in Christ so that when he returns, we're not shameful of the way we've been living because we've been living apart from him. So we live in him, abiding in him, so that when he returns, we're not ashamed of the way that we've been living. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. This idea of blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Christ is pure. He goes on to say, everyone who makes a, a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. That Really, it's a scary passage in a way, 
because it's very convicting. Everyone who, pra- who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Why did Christ appear? Why did he show up? Why did he come to do work on this earth? He appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. It's convicting. It's convicting. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. But whoever who makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. There's kind of a rhyme there in English, almost a rap. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we have this idea here that when we continue to sin, we're, we're taking the completed work that Christ completed for us and for the world, but we continue to sin. We're saying, Christ, your completed work wasn't enough. Hey, thanks for it, uh, but I'm, I'm going to disregard it in this moment. And then he also says that he came to, to destroy the works of the devil and that when we continue to sin, we're acknowledging that the devil's work is more important than Christ's work. It's very convicting. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And re, we as those, or you as those, who have, been, uh, who have confessed Christ as Lord and sin has been removed from you and you're being transformed, transformed into the likeness of Christ, we walk away from sin. We ask Christ every moment of life. Christ, sin is terrible and it brings death. And you knew that the separation from you was not what you desired for us. So you sent your son to destroy the works of Satan, to remove sin so that we can have life with you forever. So in this moment, Lord, help me to walk in righteousness and not in sin. Uh, verse um. Verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verses, Scripture, words breathed from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for us to hear even today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When our hearts have been purified, when our hearts have been removed of the stain of sin, we begin seeing God for who He is. Lord, open my eyes more and more and more that I may know You more and more and more. John says it, let, my, let me decrease and let You increase. Let me see You more and more and more so that I know You are worthy of living for, so that I know that every moment of life should be for You and not for myself. One last scripture. We read it already together once this year, but turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. D.A. Carson says this, Our perception of God and His ways, as well as our fellowship with Him, depends on our purity of heart. I'll read it again. So our perception of God, what we perceive God to be, and and what we perceive of His ways, or what His ways are, as well as our fellowship with Him, depends completely upon our purity of heart. So to see God, to know His ways, to have fellowship with Him, we must have a pure heart. And a pure heart only comes from the purification of our sins, the removal of sin, and that our lives be and the, the removal of every mixture that has been added to it, the removal of that only through the blood of Jesus. 
Ephesians 4 says this. Remember, Paul's writing to a, a group of, of new believers who were Gentiles, but have been adopted into the family of God through Jesus and now have an inheritance in their heirs to God and his kingdom because of Jesus. And he has to remind them, only a few short paragraphs from the beginning of the letter, he has to remind them. Now this I say in verse, sorry I might not have told you, Ephesians 4 verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The futility of their minds, void of the truth, ignorance. They don't allow the truth to soak in and begin to take root and live by that. Instead, they begin to live by ignorance, forgetting what they what has happened in their life, living towards former things. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. See, they were Gentiles, and they went back to walking as they formerly did. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We, we walk in pureness of heart, not in our old ways, but in the new life that Christ has given to us. Verse 18 says this, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Their hardness of heart. Their hearts at one point were purified and softened by the work of Jesus, and then something happened. And their heart began to grow hardened to the work of Christ. Their heart began to grow hardened towards what the ways that Christ desired for them to walk. Do not walk this way. Verse 19 says this, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practice of every kind of impurity. They, they, their hearts became callous. I love the word for callous. The Greek word means that they cease to feel any pain. They cease to feel or have any feeling anymore. They have a numbness that's happened. They go callous towards. And some of you are like, calluses are a good thing. I don't want to blister every time. But if it's the work of God, as the author of Hebrews says, no discipline is, uh, is um, you think it's not, not beneficial, uh, beneficial to you at the time, but to see the work inside of you growing towards the likeness and being transformed into the likeness of Christ, you see that the work is beneficial. The discipline that God is putting on us is beneficial for us to be transformed in his likeness. So these people, these people had a hardness of heart, a callousness. They ceased to see the work of Christ in their own life. They've forgotten what Christ has removed from them. They forgot the direction, repent and turn around and move this direction, not the old way. And the new life that I've begun, they've forgotten that. They have this Hardness of heart, this callousness that's gone on them. Verse 20 says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ. It's not the way that you learned Christ. What Christ has done in you, do not disregard it. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Paul's reminding these believers, and I think he's reminding us today even, we can't let our hearts grow hardened. We cannot let our hearts grow calloused. Number one, and most importantly, to the work of Christ, to the completed work of Christ. When we grow numb to what Christ has done for us, 
And the gospel seeds are being sown into our hearts, but we've grown numb and calloused and hardened to that. The word's not taking root. How are we going to produce fruit for Christ and his kingdom? We cannot grow calloused or hardened to the work of Christ. We have to be reminded the completed work of Christ and what he's done in our life, what he's doing in our life, what he's going to do in our life. And when that happens, we see God. We see him for what he's desiring of our life. We see him for the way he wants us to walk. We see him for the direction he wants us to, to walk in. We see that we can't lean on our own understanding anymore because our own understanding is lured away. We have to trust in God and his completed work for our life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And my invitation to you this morning is pretty simple. If you're a believer like myself and have heard the message that we've heard this morning a, a number of times, pray that God would break the hardness of heart. I'm going to weep over passages like this because I'm convicted of my own sin. I weep because I hear the callous words and I think, I know a number of areas where Christ is trying to work in my, in my heart, in my life, but he's, he's taken away sin, but I've disregarded that. I want to continue and step back into it. Lord, help me not to go back to my former way of life and disregard the completed work of Christ, but instead, God, help me walk in newness of life. Help me walk in righteousness. Help me walk in purification of sin so that I may be this ambassador for Christ so that others may see the work, the completed work of Christ and may confess Lord also. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never confessed Christ as Lord. You'll never be healthy. I'm not talking about in a physical sense. You'll always be striving for more. You'll never be satisfied. You'll always have a longing for more and more and more and more. And this world will never satisfy you. You'll think treasure after treasure after treasure will fill the void, but it will not. Only Christ can. And when he comes in to remove sin and set your heart in the right direction, remind you of this everlasting longing that you have for eternity in your hearts, like the author of Ecclesiastes has told us. When you realize that, and Christ becomes your treasure, you will have satisfaction in every moment of life. When we can't be content, when we have moments where we're just not content with life, in my own life I say, I'm not content in this because something has grabbed my heart. Something other than Christ has grabbed my heart. Lord, whatever those are, break them away so that my heart is yours and only yours, surrendering to you and only you, that I may be satisfied and content in every moment of life because I see that you are worthy of every moment of my life. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, selfishly, I desire a healthy life. I desire a healthy church. I desire a healthy family. God, I know that that can only happen through purification of sin. That can only happen through a healthy, purified heart. A heart that has been cleansed by the completed work of Christ and has been set in the direction of holiness. No longer set apart from you, but, but instead reconciled to you through your Son. So God, help myself and others in this room this morning to look to you for everything. God, help us to respond this morning to your Holy Spirit's prompting in a way that brings only you honor.